So we have a question uh, to start off this episode, and it comes from my brother-in-law, Colin Taylor, and said this, question for your podcast, does God know all of the ants? Yes. So the thing that I want to talk about <laughs> off that question. <laughs> I remember you saying that. Yeah. The thing I want to talk about this question, God knows everything, right? And it's not, it's not an extra, you know, burden for him to know more about ants, right? To know more about, you know, the, the granules of sand or whatever. He can, he can think about it. He can hold it all in his mind. And it's not an extra strain for him to think about that. But for us, like for humans, for you and I, Jason, this question sparks something in, in my mind. So the question is, what is a random factoid, random piece of information that is relatively useless to you, but that you have a lot of knowledge in or knowledge on? Yeah, so it was obvious that this was useless 25 years ago. Awesome. Uh, but it's Marvel Comics between a certain span. I read comic books uh, religiously, as they say, uh, and I could tell you the lineage of every character. Now I can't. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, functionally that was useless, and it was shameful <laughs> <laughs> if you knew it. So that would be the, the factoid uh, that I possess a lot of. Uh, and the other thing would be like pop music within a four-year span. Pop I knew music. everything about pop music in a four-year span. Uh, and then now I know nothing. So in conversations, mm -hmm. when people say something and I'll, I'll be, oh, I know that about this. Yeah. And they're like, can we talk about something like this decade? And I'm like, mm, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so mine, uh, mine are almost always generally sports related. Uh, I will have like a really, you know, I'm, I'm a big Thunder fan and a big OU football fan. And so I was actually listening to a Thunder podcast during, you know, a good the early portion of the quarantine and the coronavirus breakout. And so there's no basketball happening and they're trying to come up with like content, right. To keep people listening. And so they're doing quiz shows all the way back to 2008 when the thunder started. And, you know, every week they would do like, okay, we're covering the 2009 year and 2010 year. And I would be in my car driving somewhere and they would be like, you know, who was the seventh leading scorer on that thunder team? And they're like, and every, the guy, these like Thunder podcasts are like, man, that's a really tough one. From And I'm like, you dummies. How do you not know that in 2010, the seventh score was Eric Maynard? Um, <laughs> or, you know, it's just a, it's just a fun thing. What, one thing I would say to, to the question, I would say, why would I think that God wouldn't know every ant individually? Mm -hmm. And it's it just goes to the thing. I can't remember a person's phone number. You know what I mean? I, I can't, if I walk into a room of new people, Heck, if I rock into the room with the church I've been with for 17 years, it's likely I'll forget a name. Mm -hmm. And so we make God like us all the time in, in un subconscious ways. And I think if God knows things down to whatever smaller than the molecular level, yeah. it, it's kind of a, not to critique your brother-in-law, but it's kind of, it's, it's such a human question. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't we assume he'd know everything since he created everything? That is you know. that is interesting. Actually, I did a quick Google search, and apparently, individual ants know like other ants in their colony. Like, there's specific like chemicals and compounds on their. You know, I, I went I went deep for this question. Hello, my name is Connor, and I'm Jason, and you are listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. So this week, uh, we are focusing on an interaction that Jesus had 
uh, and it's found in Luke 20, uh, beginning in verse 1. Uh, And it says, One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? He replied, I will also ask you a question. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, we don't know where it was from. Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. So to me, that is that is um, the whole interaction. It, again, this is one of those things. If it wasn't Jesus, I'd be like, that is so bizarre, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the way that was handled. Uh, but for me, uh, what amazes me about it is the whole dynamic of Jesus not feeling compelled to give a straight answer, um, to just say, here's the answer. Now, I don't know what the straight answer would be. Yeah. I, I think this is a brilliant answer, but underlying it of, of him not feeling compelled, like when I know a truth and you ask it, I'm going to give you that truth. Do you feel like when somebody... When somebody tries to evade your question or whatever it is, that they're being inherently untruthful. I, I think that's right. I wouldn't have said it that way, but I think you're right. Well, I think about like when I was a kid and I would try to evade questions. And like that was almost worse than like for a lot of times that'd almost be worse than like lying. Like if there was a direct question asked of me from an authority figure, which just gets to the whole point of the passage, mm-hmm. uh, it was like it was outrageous that I would like try and now not not equating what I did at like five years old to what Jesus does here. But I do think that like like what you said there, it, it's really fascinating. So much of the time the things that Jesus does, if it wasn't Jesus doing it and if we didn't have the big, you know, uh big crosses around our necks, we would be comfortable enough to admit that's a little bit odd. Right, yeah. And and I think I think there is this ongoing assumption that when Jesus says or when John John writes, you know, Jesus came with grace and truth, what that means is that Jesus should make sense to us. And if we just had Jesus here, he would clear it all up. Yeah. He would our marriages would clear up, our parenting would clear up, our work situation would clear up, everything would clear up, you know. And yet he's right there and he's not he's not compelled to clear it up. Yeah, and that's amazing to me because I feel such great pressure when I hear somebody that that I I'm discipling or somebody even in my congregation say something, and I think, oh, that's not right. Mm-hmm. I feel such a compulsion to oh, I got to get with them. I right, so this gets this gets to what amazes me, and this gets this gets very personal for me. So much of the time, I think this is, I think this is a very very American Christian thing that when somebody says something that we think goes against what our church has said or what our religion believes or this is what my granddaddy said and you know this is just what we do there's this response of i've got to make them say the words mm-hmm. i've got to make them say the exact like it doesn't even necessarily matter if if they mean it but i gotta hear them say those words and, and for me you know i don't want to get too into it because you know it's in the past and we already processed it but that was a big thing for me when i when i got fired right how i was taking a lot of what I was hearing on the outside and how I was processing it internally was a lot of times it felt more like, well, we need to hear you say these exact words. And and it's not a one-to-one situation, but it is so amazing to me that for Jesus, and, and I'm speaking only in Jesus's interaction here, 
when somebody with ill intentions comes to Jesus with a question, he doesn't feel the need, like you said, he doesn't feel the need to entertain that question because it comes from a place of vileness. Right. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, that compulsion runs so deep in me Mm-hmm. that even this discussion, I feel like disclaiming some things. Well, no, I don't want to, you know what I mean? Yeah. I want to make sure you understand that as a minister, I do my best to answer well, you, every question. You, you know. know, you haven't gotten fired yet, so I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but that does tie into a deep need that I have, maybe all humanity. I must be understood. Yeah. I must be understood. You must understand me. And and that's what perplexes me about Jesus. It, it's this... It's this, I'm amazed he lacks the compulsion, but in general, how does he function constantly misunderstood and keep his sanity? Mm. I mean, that is beyond me, how he shows up every day doing beautiful things for people, like undeniably life-changing things for people, and even when they're for him, they misunderstand him. Oh, that's good. So it's like, imagine you know your church decides, hey, we're going to go and... We're gonna serve the homeless, right? We're gonna take we're gonna take meals to the homeless, and we're just gonna canvas downtown Tulsa, and that's what we're gonna do. And so, somebody in your group, like a couple people in your group, they wear like, let's just let's put it even in the in in the Christian circles, they wear another church's shirt while they're doing it. Oh no! And in the in the context of the the homeless people think, oh, it's this other church doing it. How does that make us feel on the inside? Oh, it, it makes it's we're seething, right? I don't know if we're seething with anger or injustice. I just love what you said. That that is, oh, you're getting into skin crawl because sometimes people, our, our church, our memorial does does one thing they do a good job at is we really strive not to be put off by our differences. We really try to say Jesus is our main connecting point, our political views, our where we come from and as university, who we root for as a team, I mean, whatever would separate mm-hmm. us, that's secondary and ideally a deep secondary. Um, but the idea of when I see somebody wearing something that would be perceived as political, I do not care what side of, of the aisle I, that it's on. I do, <laughs> I've actually mm-hmm. met with people. Now, to my credit, I withhold the strong judgment and ask them questions. I ask them questions, but still the underlying thing is, will you stop doing that? <laughs> stop doing that. You're misrepresenting. This is not about your political view. And and I can't even tell you if I'm being reasonable at all, but to your point about what if they're wearing the wrong shirt, this applies in so much of my life, how I parent this applies to. Mm-hmm. Like I, this is where God's, it's been a real crucible for me being a parent hearing my kids say stuff that I don't agree with and not giving into the compulsion to control them, keeping in mind my kids are 18 and and 21, and I'm not talking about my kids three, and he's like, I'm running in traffic. That's a different issue. (laughs) But when they say something about God that I don't agree with, now I think I want to be clear, it is my responsibility to pray to God, ask him how to provide that wisdom. But if Jesus, I mean, think about how potent this interaction could have been. Yeah. If he would have said religious leaders— Let's really talk about this issue of authority, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I think you, you get into deeper of like, okay, he's speaking, and he'll, just a few verses later, he'll, he'll give a parable directly against these religious leaders. Mm. The re- the reason that these religious leaders are so upset, one, they believe it's heresy. Two, he's upsetting he's upsetting basically the, the deal that they've struck with the Roman governors, right, to maintain peace and to maintain their positions 
of authority. The religious leaders are complicit with a government that has crucified their people. They are complicit with a government that are taxing the life out of wow. out of their people. And it, it is so... All these things, the, the, there's so many sides to them. But I, I do think it's 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 really fascinating. And he'll, Jesus, even later in this chapter, we'll, we'll get into, you know, should you pay the tax and, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I, I think it's it's so, like, it, it seems not just reckless. It seems like, Jesus, are you seeing the whole picture here? Like, h- how do you not do it? And I think for where you and I find ourselves in late August of 2020 for whenever people listen to this, you know, there's a big in our culture in, in American Christianity of like, well, you have to stand up and say you're voting for this person for president. You have to stand up and say you're voting for that person for president. And if you don't, then are you really saved? Or if you don't, are you really serious about this? Right. And I think a lot of people would have that reaction to Jesus. Well, if you really cared about your brothers and sisters being crucified, if you really cared about your brothers and sisters who were being um, abused and having their farms taken away from them, well, then you would really stand up and say something. But yet Jesus doesn't. It, it is. And I mean, I think we've, for those that have been raised around the Bible and reading the Bible, it can become such white noise. We, we really don't, we're looking for approval of what we've believed in the past. Oh yeah, that's right. That's why I believe that, you know, okay, good. I feel safe. Instead of really letting the word be living and active and continue to speak to us, because I'm sure from the Pharisees perspective, they're like, well, what choice do we have? Yeah. You know, we, we just got to, we, we got to make the best of this bad situation. And, and here's the interesting thing. I think they could have got there led by God, but then they depended on that more than God. Mm-hmm. And that to me is this interaction with government, and I'm I I really I have views on how things should go, but to me, politi- I do too, and they all happen to be right. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why I never say mine. Um, but but the uh, but but it's like to me arguing about that falls into where Paul says, "Stop having quarrels." You know, mm-hmm. what I mean that oh, that just don't matter. Mm-hmm. But the bigger issue is when I'm in political discussion, I feel like we're asked to. Hey, our Christian identity, our unity, our fact that God is for us and nothing can be against us, that's secondary to this political thing. Mm-hmm. And what I love about what Jesus does is, right, his actions. You know, you talk about this this urge for Jesus, speak up and say something mm-hmm. about the oppressive government that's over your people. Right. He doesn't necessarily say it out loud, but his actions over and over and over again challenge the existing order of things. You know, it's it for him dining with sinners. That's a political act to to raise these people up and honor him that way. Um, the people that for the Jewish people, if if is getting into a whole another tangent, but a lot of the religious leaders of the day thought that the reason that Israel was under Roman occupation was that because they hadn't followed the law well enough. Mm. And for them, this is why there was so much hatred towards the prostitute, towards the sinners, is because they were part of the active reason why they were being oppressed by the by the Roman government. And so Jesus, uh, he, he is constantly living against the Roman way of doing things and the way that the religious leaders wanted to do it. And when Jesus does use words to speak truth to power, it's never the words that other people expected the Messiah to say. And it's it's not, they're not the words that maybe even we would want him to say. And 
Jesus just refuses over and over and over again to be put into a box. Yeah, so I have a natural resistance when you say when Jesus sits down with the sinner, uh, that's political, okay? When you say it and I think about it, I get your point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's—I don't think I'm going to disagree with the point. It's the framing. Jesus—and this is troubling uh, to us. We've been taught— in order to make change in your culture, you change the system. And how you do that is you take on more power. And that's the fundamental difference with how I, I hear when we say that's political, and this is not, this is, uh, what do you say? This is not denotation, the actual definition of the word. It's the connotation I carry. It's like Jesus took power by sitting with the sinner. Mm-hmm. And I would say, no, that happened organically with Jesus saying, how do I love well? And now I'm in front of a tax collector, and now I'm in front of a prostitute, and now I'm in front—you see what I'm saying? Yeah. The end result is right, but how do we affect change? And I think the American way says, maybe the human way says, we take power. So so we run for government, and I'm not—if you if God tells you to run for government, run for government. My point, though, is, is the conceptualization that I have more power if I'm in government than I do as a, as a righteous man that nobody knows praying. Or that's the way that I have to— Exactly, have to my exactly. And I, I think this is my primary issue, and I really appreciate you bringing this up because I don't know if I've crystallized this in my brain to this point, but it's the idea that Jesus— affected the system one loved person at a time where he could have easily said let's have public debate mm-hmm. let i'm running for the lead rabbi role and i can do 10 times more miracles than in, your lead in, rabbi in fact you, you said there the reason that the that the religious leaders don't come back at him in a particular way is because they're afraid the crowd is going to side against them exactly and that shows where their power was mm-hmm. now i do think when there is there's a beauty. I want to be really clear on this. When I look at that interaction, I'm like, oh, yeah, Jesus. That, Craig Hicks, you say, cool as a cucumber. It's that idea of he's just like, he's just like, hey, about about this. I'd love to see his face. Mm. Is he is he got a slight smirk? Is he like, all right, I'll tell you this if you tell me that. And watching them, I I think that huddle, that picture in my mind of them huddling. Hey, well, what about this? No, if we say this or this, what about this? No, we say this. Yeah. We don't know. Is there a crowd that's hearing them say, we don't know? Because Pharisees, teachers of law, never said we don't know. I think for this episode, I'm going to give it a special artwork. And it's that, I'm sure you've seen it. It's that gif of the um, of the like young teenage guys. And it's like some sort of roast or something like that. And you have like people like just losing their minds or grabbing their faces. They don't like the, the comeback from this kid was unbelievable. And like, I totally, I totally see it because the fact that, that Jesus has this perspective, his life is on the point of a knife right like if he says things he says it the wrong way his life could be over and it could be it could be done with and yet like he performs under pressure like that like that's just incredible and that gets to another question that i'm just i would love to talk to jesus about um you know when i see him face to face not the first thing but you know maybe 14th or 15th (laughs) is was that like, did he have those things pre-planned? Was he like, you know, was did, was he thinking about it the night before? And like, because like I do that all the time, right? I'm thinking about this podcast the night before I'm taking a shower. It's like, oh, if Jason says this, I've got this perfect. <laughs> Although I've never said anything this cool under pressure, but I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So I have no memory. Have we talked about what perplexes you? We haven't. Oh, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> so what perplexes me? Okay. So this is kind of a, going to be a long road to get where I'm going. The religious leaders 
they properly diagnose the situation, right? They recognize, hey, if we respond this way or that way, here are the logical outcomes of, of what are of what is going to happen. Um, and they're afraid that they can't they can't give in to what Jesus says. They can't say he, you know, his message is from is from God because then why would they be upset with him? They believe it's not from God, but they're afraid of the um, the repercussions from the crowd if they if they say that out loud. What I'm trying to get at is where is their fear, right? Their, their fear with Jesus, even though they've seen all these things, right? The underlying fear under all their actions is what if Jesus is right? Is that a possible fear for them? Because mm-hmm. for them, they're, they're fearing the repercussions of if we say he's not. They fear the repercussions of if he causes a revolution, will be overthrown and the Romans will, you know, destroy the ten- all, all these possible horrific outcomes. What I'm just wondering here is what's the true underlying fear for them? Because I, equating it to modern day and, and you know, our, our walk with people and our need to control things like we talked about a little bit earlier. So often in our Christian culture, there, there's fear, right, of different systems or different religions of different ways of doing things. So what happens, you know, what happens if the Marxists gain acts, you know, gain more power in a country? What happens if Islam grows in our country? What happens if, you know, the other, you know, denomination that we don't agree with grows power in our country? What What's just so perplexing to me is where is, where is the basis of that fear? Is the basis for the fear that Islam would grow is because what if they're right? Or is it because of the physical re- repercussions for us? Does that does that make sense? Kind of what I'm what I'm absolutely. I think, man, that that may be too deep of a dive for me to respond to. I I need to think about that. Um, I think it's fascinating on the most surface level. I think it's fascinating that this manifests as clearly as possible their identity. Mm. Their identity is not in an all powerful God who has everything taken control of. There's no peace with them. And I think that shows, and I th- that speaks to me. If I don't have peace, and you say, why aren't you at peace? And I'm like, oh, why would I have peace? You know, the, the, the racial inequality and the protest and, and COVID and blah, 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 blah. why would I have peace? And you're like, well, have you, are you a Christ follower? Yeah. I mean, because this is why you should have peace, because he, God says again and again and again, I've got this. And it's okay to be like, oh, I'm afraid of if a relative of mine gets COVID and they're at, you know, at risk, then they could be, you know, seriously injured or possibly even die. You and I, Jason, personally talk a lot about what's underlying these underlying Mm -hmm. the reason why we do things. And so is, is the fear of X, Y or Z? Is it because it's going to cause harm to my neighbor or is it because it's going to put me in an awkward, it's going to put me in, in a position that I don't want to be put in. Right. So, so let me clean up what I said a little bit. I thought you were going to say, let me clean up what you said, which I would have just <laughs> loved because <laughs> I'm sure it could be used. Like you could, it could be cleaned up a little. Yeah. Um, so, so I want to be clear. So if my identity is in Christ, I still feel the fear. Yes. Yes. Uh, I want to be clear. So it's for the person that says I cannot have peace because these things exist. Instead of saying, my identity is in Christ, I have anxiety, I have fear, I have anger, I have, you know, these emotions, and yet I keep coming back to God's got this. Mm -hmm. And then the devil's attacks comes, and I raise my shield of faith, and I'm like, I see that, I see my fear, but I have peace, the peace that 
defies understanding. That's beyond what my logical understanding would do. It's it's the access to the peace. So I'm not suggesting I live at all at peace at all times because of my identity is Christ. I'm saying because my primary identity is in Christ, I always have access to this peace. Versus saying how can I possibly have peace? Yeah. Okay. The the that dynamic of our own motivations is so important, and I would say we we get locked up into what's my personality type and what's my response better and what was my upbringing it, it, in a way to frame who am I. Mm-hmm. You know, and we don't, and a lot of times, well, that's just the way I am. Instead of digging into what's my motivation to doing this, and when you look at your motivations, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this is unhealthy. Like, mm-hmm. even if it looks like I'm doing something nice to you, when I realize my motivation is I'm trying to control you through my niceness, yeah, that's an unhealthy pattern. It's not loving. And so we get back to why didn't Jesus, res- why did Jesus give it a response in this way? It's mm-hmm. because it was an unloving question. It was coming from not not a true place. You wonder if there had been a genuine, um, genuine Pharisee or Sadducee that had gone to Jesus, whether in public or private, and been like, "Do you realize like what's going to happen? Like it, like the message you're preaching, it could lead to a lot of people's deaths." Like I. Like, I'm like, do you like, do you understand like what this could look like, what this could be? Right. Like, help me on, not even like help me understand, but like just a genuine, like even being genuine with the fear and not hiding it under this religiosity. That is fascinating. That is fascinating. So we're back to that. What if they'd come to him in honesty and vulnerability? Mm -hmm. Jesus, we are really afraid that your message is going to get a lot of people killed. And we have families to support. And we know it's this terrible deal with the devil, as it were. But it's keeping us safe, and largely it's keeping our people safe. How 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 are we supposed to think about this? What would that conversation have been like? Yeah, you know. And this says for if you have leadership in anybody's life, uh, in in as your identity as as a Christ follower, how does that apply to me today? To be able to say to God, I don't know how to lead well during COVID. I don't, mm-hmm. and I'm doing the best I can, God. But but I'm safe with you to say this. You know, and I think that's true to your point. Why would what would be the loving way to interpret what Jesus does here? How how could you say, okay, if Jesus is love incarnate, God incarnate, mm-hmm. then how is this loving to these men? I'll go I'll I'll go back to an analogy. I, I remember when I was in middle school, um I have two older brothers, they were straight A students all throughout high school. They got like the best student awards, right? Um, and so when I got to middle school, I was lazy and I didn't turn in my homework and I suddenly had an F and for like my parents who had had straight A students before me and they had straight A students after me, I was, I was, I was a black sheep in this way. Um, this was like the biggest deal ever, right? This was like a massive, massive deal. And we would have these long meetings with my parents and my teachers where they're trying to diagnose the problem and trying to do this and trying to do that. And I remember one day when I hadn't turned in my homework and I had like a 59 in my English class and my parents called me into their bedroom. And they're like, what is going on here, Connor? Why? Why are you doing this? And I my, I think I, I <laughs> this is terrible. Um, this is how conniving I was at that age. I was like, well, I'm just really sad because my grandmother died, you know, because my, my we called her grandma. Grandma died. Um, and, you know, this was probably like eight or nine months before this had happened. And my dad. um at first, uh, and there was plenty of unloving things that happened around my grades and stuff like that. But I'll give him credit. I'll give my parents both credit with this. They're like, my dad was like, "That's that's BS, Connor. That <laughs> that is total, 
that is total BS. Um, because for me, I had started to believe that lie, right? I'm like, why is this happening? Why am I not turning in my homework? Why am I not doing this? It's because of this traumatic situation, or it's because of this sad thing that had happened to me, or it's because of this. When the reality was, I was just being lazy and I didn't want to do it, but I had convinced myself. I was beginning to believe these own lies that I'd put into my own heart. And so I wonder, and we can come back and clean this up. I wonder for Jesus, if Jesus had even entertained this question, does that give these religious leaders plausible deniability to be like, well, Jesus entertained the question. Jesus was, you know, Jesus was, you know, he was, he, he engaged us, but Jesus the, doing it this way leaves no room to doubt that he believes they're not acting in a, um, good faith manner. So clean that up however you need to. No, I I think that's that's a great analogy, and it's it's the it's the art, uh, if that's right, what you say of, that Jesus had to hear the question and then hear what they're really asking. And so if he if he answers them, my guess is because of the frame of mind we assume these men had, then what's going to happen is they're just going to attack that answer. Mm-hmm. But he leaves them to wrestle with God. That's good. Number one, they have the dissatisfaction of the um, of the non-answer, but bigger is they've got to own the fact they said we don't know in front of people. And and the one of the first, you know, the oh. start of the Sermon on the Mount, I always go to this. The first first blessed is blessed are the poor in spirit, those people that realize they have nothing to offer God. But see, as long as we think we have anything to offer God, like, God, I go to the right church, I worship the right way, I'm saved the right way, I'm whatever, I'm a good person, I'm I'm not as bad as that person, Mm -hmm. then we're always going to be at a deficit because we think God owes us, and there's no way in in reality that God owes us. And so that dynamic is, is just really important. So... What, what I think you're absolutely right, in the same way your dad saw beneath, uh, he said, hey, here's the real truth, is you're, you're coming with your authority to demand my authority, and you've built your authority on something shaky. Hmm. That's good. That's good. As we talked about this, it just it's occurred to us that, that there is so much good in this chapter. We're going to stay in this chapter for a couple weeks. Uh, and so I'd encourage you, uh, read ahead, uh, take Luke 20 and just process that. And remember, just through that lens of God, show me something amazing and then being honest with, but this perplexes me. Mm-hmm. And we encourage you to read ahead and just continue to develop this discipline of reading through these lenses. Thank you for listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. If you have a question, a thought, a comment, that you want to hear our perspective on or you want clarification or just want to engage with us we would love to hear from you you can do that through a variety of different ways you can email us at amazed and perplexed at gmail.com you can ask us a question on our website at amazed and perplexed.com or you can go to our facebook page or if you know us personally you can shoot us a text or a message whatever way is easiest for you we don't want this to just be us shouting and laughing and monologuing into a void once again thank you for listening grace peace and love